Today's episode is an important one. We were both pharmacists and we knew what the pandemic did for the profession and to the profession. Ugh, this is why I knew I needed like a tissue because yeah. <laughs> Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the HeyRx Friends We Got This podcast, where we share our thoughts on the pharmacy profession, experiences as healthcare providers, and exploring our identities as two women of color, going after it all. As we share our stories, we hope you laugh, maybe cry, and feel inspired as you get to know us. At the end of the day, friends, we got this. Yes, we... Oh, I forgot. Oh, no. I forgot to say it with you. <laughs> what? Oh! <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> didn't you say that there was somebody that lives for that? Yeah, they, they like we cut this. I'm like, what? Wait, what? I even missed it that you didn't say it with me because I'm yeah. still in my head. Well, that's I know. Me too. I'm like looking at the chat box. To I see know. It's okay. Oh, but hello, everybody. My name is Thu. Hi everyone, this is Sally. We did it. We, we did introduced it. ourselves. We, <laughs> we introduced ourselves at the correct and most opportune time today. Exactly. Very exciting. Something that I, just... I notice about Sally is that when <laughs> I edit you, um, or just our clips in general, like sometimes you speak so fast. I and do. Then sometimes you speak so slow. Oh. But when you speak fast, it's like really fast. And I literally one time was like, did I, did I speed it up by accident? Like, how did that happen? But you just know exactly what you're going to say. And you're like, do, 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 like and a then, robot. And, and so like, usually I'm people's shocked. facial expressions tell me that I'm going really fast. <laughs> uh, so even when I teach, I tell students, if it starts to sound like I'm rapping, stop me. Because it just means like I'm in a trance. Like <laughs> the thoughts, they're so clear. I know what I want to convey. And that's what it is. But it's funny because when I do that, I, I watch it back and I'm like, wow, I'm just talking. I'm just rambling. But when you do that, it makes sense. That's why I'm like, her brain is like functioning so fast. I'm it's, it's a marvel. It's, it's <laughs> And then when I'm also talking slow, that cadence usually is because of emotion. I'm either really, really angry and I want to mince my words or I am stopping myself from crying. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm just going really, really slow, acknowledging that I'm feeling things. But yeah. this needs to come out and it needs to come out in a coherent way instead of instead of that understand i need um, to breathe through the emotion and 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 get this out and and yeah. today's episode may be a lot of slow <laughs> yeah maybe maybe i maybe of... i will have to speed you up through speed post up. post <laughs> post-production like okay we gotta gotta speed yeah. it up Sally and like you become little chipmunks because that's I'm what a happens. little chipmunk <laughs> uh, today um, yeah what are we gonna talk about today this is something that Sally's been wanting to do since like yeah months episode ago. one yeah <laughs> episode Truly. one and I love that you're 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 obliging me with this one because there's one more you owe me um it's what's in a name 
what's in a name, Thu? We're going to get me, that Sally. done. <laughs> Excuse me, but I'm pretty sure I reminded you that we need to do that one. And you're like, oh, I already forgot about that. <laughs> we forgot about that. <laughs> what's in a name? We, we that owe our one. listeners that one too. Um, yeah. But today's episode is, um, here comes the slow, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's an important one, I think, for Thu and I, for very, very different reasons. And that, that perspective is what I really wanted us to capture because I don't believe it is one that's been um, discussed enough, talked about enough, and or we've even had first-person accounts of that. Um, we were both pharmacists and we knew what the pandemic did for the profession and to the profession and how it affected us both as pharmacists. But this episode, I want to hear from Thu about her experience with the pandemic. When we talk about, and when I say the pandemic, um, everybody listening is going to know that I am talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, right. Obviously, I'm talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, there, it was a, an interesting time to be alive, but I'm very interested in knowing and having to tell her story today about how the pandemic happened for her to her and how she's existed as a woman of color, a woman of Asian descent since that time. And I'm I'm going to do my best to let you tell your story today completely uninterrupted. Um, even though at times I may straight up just completely lose my ish. I mean, so the pandemic has really affected both of us in very interesting ways. And I think that is why this episode is going to be really fascinating for me too on your end, because not just the the aspect that you really went through some tough uh health scares in that year, which is like one of the worst years to have any kind of health scares. Yeah. Um, but also the race component of it too, for both of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be an interesting one. And I've always kind of, I hesitate to do this episode, not necessarily because of anything negative. Um, and look at me, I'm talking slow too, but <laughs> it's because truly, I think it was traumatic for, I'm for sure. me. Um, I'm sure. And I th- like, yeah, it's traumatic. And I don't know what kind of emotion is going to come out of this one. Absolutely. Because I even tried talking to my therapist about it once. And, yeah. you know, sometimes therapists, therapists are hit or miss. And yeah. I don't think that she fully comprehended what I was trying to tell her, which is I'm like, I think I was traumatized by this. Yeah. 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 And I've since I've really just kind of put everything in a box and really stored it away. And it doesn't affect me on a day to day. But when I do bring it back out, yeah, you know, it's the memories are just so intense sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's why I am grateful that you agreed for us to do this, (laughs) because I think it's going to be hard, but you 
you're a badass. You do hard things. And, but this is a different version of hard. And so I don't, I don't want to just have us do this and not acknowledge that this is taking a lot of courage and strength for you to revisit these. I want to start with when did it first hit you that something big was happening? Like, mm. this is different from H1N1. This is different from even when um, Ebola came to mm -hmm. the U.S. When did you have the realization that this is different mm -hmm. and this is big? Yeah, I mean, this was when the news first came out that something really big was, was happening. It was probably February 2020. And I was supposed to go to France in May. And so um, we had a whole trip planned. Thank goodness we hadn't bought our tickets or anything like that. Oh, no, we did buy our tickets. And then we had to get that refunded. Yeah, that's right. Wow. <laughs> really blocked that out, too. Um, but I and it's funny because in the beginning of it all, I remember going on a hike with a friend and we're like, oh, the media is just blowing this out of propor proportion. I'm sure a lot of people went through that. Yeah. But I think it was when we saw what was going on in New York yeah. that we realized this is something else, something much bigger. And um, yeah, I think that was probably when mm. I realized. But okay. um, what's really interesting, too, is just how people deal with that kind of information. There was a lot mm -hmm. of people that didn't believe in it, don't yeah. agree with it and all that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I worked in the hospital, so it, it had to be a different perspective of how okay. we're going to handle something like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What about you? Um, it was different for me because I didn't follow the news as closely. Most of the information I was receiving about it was from work. Mm. So the work alert, the health alerts that were coming through work is how I was following it. But perspective, right? I am West African and endemic diseases that become pandemics in those countries mm. are not new to me. The anxiety that I had around it wasn't much mm. in the beginning because I'd survived an endemic pandemic cholera outbreak when I was in Guinea as a child, I saw that completely, completely just ravaged half of my neighborhood. Wow. And I saw the precautions that my parents had to take to protect us and make sure that we were safe and that nothing happened to us. And so in my head, I am in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. If there is a place that is equipped to keep anything from getting out of control, I'm in the best place in the world to mm -hmm. deal with this. Mm -hmm. So I had a very different response to mm. the news. I didn't, I wasn't scared. I was very calm about what was coming out, but recognized that something big was happening. But I felt like I would be safe. I would be safe and I would be okay, which makes this next part, <laughs> really, really difficult <laughs> as things started to unfold. Um, yeah. So I was on dialysis at the time of the pandemic. I started dialysis back in March of 2019. 
So when this thing hits, I am a year into peritoneal dialysis. I do dialysis at home at night. So I work all day and I come home and I treat for about 10 hours overnight. So infection, infection control. This is like, I am at risk for anything because also as a person who was waiting for an organ, getting an infection, if an organ became available, I would not be a candidate to receive that. So they talk to us constantly, hand washing, wearing a mask before anything. If you work in an area where other people are sick, you need to work somewhere else or you need to wear a mask and you need to. So I'm aware of what to do to protect myself. Again, really low anxiety. I'm educated about what I need to do to protect myself. I don't need to worry about this thing. They're going to do the right thing to contain this thing quickly and not have it get out of hand. So my initial position and posture around everything was that. Right. So for you, at what point do you start to realize that it's not just happening around you, but things are happening to you now? Like, mm -hmm. like walk us through like that part of how do we go from something big is happening? It's in New York. Like we're in Arizona right now. Like there's going to be a plan. There's going to be a plan. There's going to be a plan. They must have a plan. <laughs> I don't freaking have a plan. Did not. Until it's like, we don't have a plan? <laughs> I mean, the plan was essentially to social distance and wear a mask because, yeah. because healthcare providers were not given much guidance in terms of how to actually treat this thing. So it's better to prevent than actually have the disease. Whether or not social distancing and wearing a mask was 100% effective, that could be up to debate. But really it makes sense for you to just stay put and stay home. But I understand too, at that time, it was just rough for everybody. I'm not just the social aspect, but financial aspects of it. That was probably yeah. such a scary time for people, but working in the hospital, especially in Arizona, we saw what was going on in New York. And so what the initial plan was, was to empty out the hospital, it, allowing the beds to be available so that when the waves hit us, that it was going to be available for the people who need it. And it was just so interesting because I think it was around April, March, April, that we were emptying out the hospital and people were told not to go in the hospital unless you really have to. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, walking through the hallways in the hospital that's pretty empty, empty. was probably eerie. one of the most creepiest, most yes. eerie thing, but you yeah. also have this idea that something is coming towards us. Yeah. It's, it's almost like if I can imagine it and describe it, it almost feels like a swarm of bees, but they're not bees. They're like infection, you know, yeah. a swarm of COVID is flying. It's coming towards us. Yes. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know yeah. how, we just know that it's coming. Yeah. And so you're sitting in, an, in a hospital that's quiet and it's just like, when is it happening? Mm -hmm. That was probably the first, the most eerie thing that I've ever experienced in that hospital. Yeah. And then the interesting thing was that nothing happened for several months. And so what ended up happening was because surgeries were halted, yeah. everything was put on hold, the hospital was starting to lose money. And so then we began to go through a long process of figuring out furloughs 
and yeah. who's going to lose our jobs. Yeah. And I remember getting in an elevator with a doctor and he full on was like, yeah, things are not looking good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this job. So it went from let's prepare for this big emergency that never came. Mm. And now we're looking at losing our jobs because of the, of the precautions that we, we had. And that in itself was such a rough time because none of us have really ever experienced that kind of instability in our careers before. So that Mm -hmm. was really scary. And then it was just so unfortunate that when people were being furloughed, when hours were cut was when we got our first big peak. Yes, And it was just the most unfortunate situation. It really was. Um, so, but that's not even, none of that's like the most painful for me. Yeah. Honestly, um, talking about just the clinical aspect and like the patient care and all of that itself. Um, it almost felt like we, we were just not prepared. Like mentally, we were not yes. prepared for anything yeah. like that. Yeah. We were not, it felt like we were truly on a battlefield yeah. of something that was invisible. Mm-hmm. And so I told Sally I was going to read lyrics to a Taylor Swift song, which is the yeah. most cheesy thing that I can ever do. <laughs> it's not. It's really not. I don't know why she keeps setting it up like it's going to be this everybody, cheesy thing. Everybody it's, like curls up and cries to Taylor Swift lyrics, which I definitely did. But at yeah. the time, Taylor Swift had released an album called Folklore. Mm-hmm. And the song on this album that made me cry the most is called Epiphany. So I'm just going to read the lyrics. But... This is, okay, just a little bit um, nerdy, Taylor Swift nerdy facts, but I believe this is the 13th song on the album, which means that it's a very meaningful song to her. And typically on on the folklore album, she dedicated this song to her grandfather who fought in in a war. Mm. And I love her ability to connect, um, like fighting in a war with what we were going through. So let me just read the lyrics and I want you to react to it. But so it goes like this. So it says, um, the first verse is, keep your helmet, keep your life, son. Just a flesh wound, here's your rifle. Crawling up the beaches now, sir, I think he's bleeding out. And some things you just can't speak about. And the chorus goes, with you, I serve. With you, I fall down. <laughs> just oh. like, I always get so emotional, like reading these it's, lyrics. But it's okay. Um, oh, it's, <laughs> I always oh. get emotional. I'm sorry. But yeah, so I'm going to keep going. Um, uh, So it it goes, watch you breathe in, watch you breathe out. Something Mets, oh, yeah. And then it goes to the second verse. It says, something med school did not cover. Someone's daughter, someone's mother. Hold your hand through plastic now. Doc, I think she's crashing out. And some things you just can't speak about. (laughs) Like, ugh. This is why I knew I needed like a tissue because, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. What do you think about that though? No, but, and I think like also the irony of her writing that and how (laughs) on it, that's dead on. People were dying in the hands of strangers. They couldn't even be with their families at all. So when I would always find people were like, oh, it's not real. It's just a a government propaganda. And I'm like, 
I witnessed a family of seven come in together and only one person was discharged. Everyone else in one family died. That's not something I heard about. That's something that I witnessed. This happened. Um, I don't think that your reaction to this, like, I don't know why you keep apologizing for it. Because I think sometimes we know how we feel, but then we don't necessarily know how to express how we feel. And then someone expresses it for us. And it's just like, yes, that's it. That's that's what I feel. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, I think the part that is the most emotional for me reading those lyrics and thinking about like kind of why I get so emotional thinking about it. Um, I mean, I, I did used to like listen to this song and just cried and I, I'm not even reading the full lyrics because I feel like I'm just gonna like keep bawling, but the part with, with you, I surf with you, I fall down and that part is so emotional for me because like we talk about healthcare providers being such a unique group of people in the community and you have no idea the amount of people that truly stepped up yeah that this was happening yeah the amount of so we quarantined most of our COVID patients in one unit initially and then it just became like the whole hospital hospital but yeah initially we had doctors and nurses that were like, okay, well, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm single, I'm not going to bring this back to my family. I, I volunteer to step in and manage these units. And there are nurses that were just so brave and doctors that were just so brave, who didn't know exactly what they were getting themselves in. But you can imagine when you think about who's going to take care of these patients, we don't know the, like how deadly this thing is going to be, we don't know how to treat it. And you may bring this back to your family. Like there were people that stepped up and said, we are going to serve. We are going to serve this community. We are going to protect and serve. And like, for me, I know, like for me, that's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in humanity. This is, I'm crying for humanity. I'm not really crying because of anything that was bad that happened to me, but it was just, the, the beauty of it, the pain of it, but for for members of healthcare to step up and said, I'm going to protect our community. There's a degree of this feeling that we that we have in, in terms of like a, a duty that we have for our patients yeah. and the community. Those are the members that will will continue to be in healthcare for a long time. Long and time. it's it's terrible that the system itself is breaking down healthcare providers, but we were meant to serve our communities. That's what we wanted to do. And, and yeah, it really showed through truly angels of, of society. Um, you know, but yeah, I think that was the most pain that I felt when, you know, of course there were people that denied what was happening. That was very painful because that's not what you're seeing in the hospital. But what was also really painful was, um, like, yeah, the risk that people were putting themselves in. And then, mm-hmm. of course, the m- most painful thing, too, was the government and the response mm-hmm. to this to, to this thing. There was such yeah. a failure yeah. on how much and or the lack of support that was placed on healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. 
we didn't have equipment. We didn't have enough masks. We didn't have enough gloves, whatever. I think it was mainly the mask. But at one point, we didn't have enough ventilators. Yeah. And we were like, do something. Like, help us. Yeah. And nothing was was being done except for just arguing all day long. I'm also disappointed in the CDC looking back. They had such a lack of their ability to communicate with the with the rest of the world, bringing people together. Like, could you yeah. as leaders bring people together and just like figure this out? Yeah. Let's not have so much contention about what's going on. But there was just so much like debating and arguing and denying. And yeah. we're we're in the hospital, like fighting well. a completely invisible enemy that yeah like it shouldn't have been so contentious it really it shouldn't should and i i feel like they failed us on so many levels they did they did and the effects of this thing it's going to be felt for a really really long time to come like for so like i was telling you for me i wasn't necessarily afraid keep in mind at that time like we didn't have a kid yet it's just me and my husband Mm. my husband was a cvs pharmacist he was going into work every single day petrified that he would bring this virus home to me there's no vaccine yet a treatment modality we don't we have no clue yet how this thing even gets treated and from everything we are reading my chances of contracting this virus and surviving it, it's non-existent. Like I, ha- <laughs> I have no chance against this thing if I was to contract it. But he was expected to work. He made a commitment to his community and his patients that he would show up and he would serve them. And so he went to work every day and we had to make a plan. And from the time the pandemic broke out until... I think it was, I think it may have been for the first month or so, we had a laundry basket in the garage. He literally came upstairs in his boxers. You just stripped everything down in the garage, upstairs, straight to the shower before he could come to any common area. And then it's Clorox wipes and Lysol everywhere you've touched since being home. Yeah, I was confined to our home until there was a vaccine. So that is from March until about November or so. I went nowhere. I think my dog was tired of walking because (laughs) (laughs) taking him outside was my only, only, only outside time. That's horrible. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, And the mental state that that took um, on me If anyone knows me, you know that I'm about my brunch with my friends, time with my niece, time with my sisters. None of this was happening. None of this, like, because the dialysis center called me and said, you need to stay home. We will give you a note for work. Work had no plan on how I would work remotely. There was no plan. Of course not. At all. So... I'm at home for at least three or four days while they figure out a plan. And then furlough comes down, you know, but it's that happened like, to you guys too. Yeah. Um, but in all of this, it's just the toll that it took on him because 
every single day, he'd just be like, I just don't know how much, like how much longer I'm going to be able to do this without putting you at risk. Right. And I think that that piece of it, I don't know that people understand that piece of it as much that like the battle between the commitment that I've made to my patients to, to be a person that is going to jump in when there's a crisis and the person that I love to think that each time I fulfill that responsibility, I'm putting at risk the person that I love. Um, so it was hard on us, but I think because I'm also a healthcare provider, I understand where he's coming from because if I had my health, I would be out there. I would have gone to the hospital. But I think that the emotional part of it was that our marriage was different because we're sitting in different couches watching TV. Like we are genuinely afraid of being together because I know where you've been all day, even though I saw the whole process you just went through, but I'm scared and you're scared. So we spend time together, but we are apart across from each other, watching TV, sleeping in different rooms because we don't like, I just don't want to, because there's nothing out here that says that people like me are surviving this thing. Yeah. In fact, they're telling us that people like me mm-hmm. are first in line to die from it. Yeah. Um. So it, it it's <laughs> it's 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 hard, and and the to think that we are coming up on four years of it, and it still is evoking these emotions like you're still reading the lyrics and you're moved to tears as if it's the first time you're reading it again mm-hmm. it tells me or it, it reinforces my belief in the fact that how this thing has affected us we're going to continue to feel it for a very 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 long time mm-hmm. so going from that to because i want us to talk about the the impact that the pandemic post pandemic had on you as a person of Asian descent, Mm. how, how, what was that? What was it like to see that who you are, the thing Mm -hmm. you cannot change about yourself Mm -hmm. is targeted is, is, is hated is a target of violence like that's that's the thing that I was so again it's just there was just a lot of anger because it could have been prevented yeah I just feel like gosh like I just felt so much I don't even know what the right word is but you know the fact that the government could have not used certain terms yeah. and focus more on bringing people together during an emergency rather yeah. than using it for their own political gain and their own political messaging was just so like eye-opening in a way like that yeah. that kind of like blatant disregard yeah. exists for other people's you know greater benefit there's just there's no safety reason oh to be saying the things that they were saying and knowing that it can affect um, how the world see, you know, 
an Asian face, for example, yeah. it was absolutely terrified. And it's like so weird because maybe right now I'm just so numb to like talking about it. But I really, if I put myself back in that place, I, I can't. But um, there was definitely fear. There was definitely worry that what would happen to me. It's like you live in a world where in your head, there's part of you that's prepared to fight back. Which is such a weird thing, like to live in a world where you call home, but like also have a defense mechanism. Yeah. If somebody tells me to go back to where I came from, how would I like easily respond to that? And would I receive any kind of backlash from that too? But it's weird to think that like that was where that was where your brain had to go. I would say that for the most part, you know, I didn't really go anywhere during that time. So I felt fairly safe of it being in my own bubble and, and stuff like that. But seeing that that's how the rest of the world is starting to like turn or something against Asian and having this Asian hate, it was really scary. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was scary. I was more scared about for my parents and I was also sure. really scared about like if, you know, me and my mom were hanging out and we're speaking Vietnamese, like what would happen yeah. if, you know, are we going to be berated for doing that? But it's it's a mental toll that, you know, living in the country that you live in and like, that you call home and yet you're always kind of scared that someone will call you out and yeah. recognize that you technically don't belong here, I guess. And then being afraid of us too for, you know, maybe we're the the origin of COVID or whatever. Um, that was that was a lot of fear. And I it's interesting too, because I don't talk about that fear out loud to a lot of people, mainly because when I have, there would always be some form of invalidation of like, oh, but like that's nothing's bad's gonna happen to you. Like you don't don't be scared, kind of thing. Oh, um, okay. I'll turn it off. What? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of statement is that? Well, you know, I think people are just trying to maybe make me feel less scared. I think the intention, again, like if you <laughs> listen to my microaggression topic, the intention is not meant to hurt me or anything. The intention is to make me feel better. But it's but it's also invalidating the fact that like hate is existing. There's it's such yeah. an interesting conundrum of people not really believing that hate exists okay. and I don't quite okay. understand how they could do that I yeah the reality of COVID was that people saw what they wanted to see about it some people believe in bits and pieces of it and some people were completely oblivious to the reality and refused to accept the totality mm-hmm. of all of the ways that it it exposed the ugliness in mm-hmm. people it exposed the superhuman power of people's generosity and what that generosity has the power to do like getting groceries for, for our elderly neighbor because mm-hmm. she was petrified of leaving her home i'm like i'm in jail too don't worry <laughs> and i'm eating <laughs> we'll make sure you eat too it's amazing yeah right but like there were so many examples of that where people stepped in for neighbors that were elderly at their church mm. keep them at home 
they were healthy. They were young, like what you were saying, and they had no risks and they would mask up and wear gloves and go into Costco and go into all these places to stock up the elderly people in their church. So they didn't have to leave their home to be exposed. Um, And so it exposed a lot of things to us about our communities, our friends, our families, that some of which were beautiful to see and some of which were very difficult to accept. Like when the vaccine came out, an uncle who smokes was concerned (laughs) about being vaccinated because there's report out there that it has a risk of giving you cancer. Uh (laughs) Yeah. You smoke two packs of priorities. Yeah. I'm going to need you to not be a part of this conversation. (laughs) I'm going to need you to sit this one out, right? Like people who put substances in their bodies where it is established that these substances will cause this are concerned about this other thing that has the, 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 that has established uh, to help us because you don't what? No, Mm -hmm. I need you to sit this conversation out. Um, (laughs) The other way that I think COVID was like, directly when so the point where my my fear and my sadness and I started crying a lot and I started struggling to get out of bed oh shoot yeah it came when the elective procedures were all canceled yeah I was a person that was now so close to a transplant that I was getting my transplant labs every month that's usually a trigger. You are right there because we went from once every two years, once a year, once every six months, once every three months. Now I was getting labs every month. Really scary. So your kidneys are getting worse. Is that what you're saying? No, it's a sign that you're placed on the list. Like you're getting really, really close because what happens and how they make the call is whose labs do they have on file? So you can tell that you can tell preliminarily that, but that really, this, that breaks my heart so much, girl, I was here. Like I'm once a month. That means like I am within a year of a transplant and they've canceled all elective procedures. I am going on the health department's website to see what is the definition of an elective. And sure enough, there it was solid organ transplants. And I'm why just is like, that an elective? Why is that considered elective? So kidney, pancreas are considered elective. Heart transplants aren't. Right. So because oh. there's a treatment modality to keep me alive, which is dialysis. So transplant is considered actually, even generally from an insurance billing standpoint, it is considered life bettering, not life saving. So an insurance company actually can choose not to cover a trans. Look, look at your face. I know it's a whole conversation. (laughs) It's a whole thing. That is like a whole other world of how transplants are viewed versus dialysis. Medicare. I guess guess you, you, you need to have a heart transplant, but there's like, there's like LVATs and stuff that you can use, you know, to, right. I mean, that's not long-term thing, but yeah. So that that's where that's where we are. That wow. that that's why kidney pancreas was listed clear as day on the list as elective procedures. And I got a call from the the coordinator. This is definitely the case. And now I am like, how long? How long? How long? But mm-hmm. they're not going to take you to the OR for a transplant 
without reserving an ICU bed. And guess what we didn't have? <laughs> ICU beds. So we, I'm screwed. Even if I have a surgeon that says that they would do it, the law requires that an ICU bed be available or a post-surgical bed be available. And these were the first places that were completely booked. And now I'm waiting. I, they, they even asked me to not get my monthly labs because we weren't going anywhere for months. That's heartbreaking. It was like, I couldn't get up. I couldn't, I couldn't get up. And this is why I say like, Louis has saved my life, my dog. Cause he would come curl up next to me. He, he would just know that like, he would just look at me with those eyes and I'm like, okay, you want to go outside? That would get me out of bed. <laughs> I'm like, Louis wants to go outside. Louis wants sunshine or Louis wants outside time. And, and, and it's so true. Like the outside and stuff, like it, it helps emotionally, but by far that was to me, the thing that took me way down the toilet and I was struggling big time with. And when the vaccine came about, I was first in line <laughs> because the transplant center said, we need you vaccinated to get this thing back up. I was first in line. I didn't, I was like, nothing is getting in my way. And Lord and behold, by November, I got the call on November 7th nice. that they had an organ available. So the pandemic was awful, but I also got my kidney in November of Do 2020. Do you know, like if they had a kidney available, would they be able to keep that alive or like viable for a long no. time? Really? Yeah, because so one of all that time when that everything was halted, it's just like you have to just get rid of the kidneys yeah, that you have available. That's what I would assume happened because there oh, wow. no elective procedures were happening anywhere. And, yeah. and we it's were not like you can keep it on ice. ice <laughs> right? Because even when when the donor goes to the OR, that's when they make you NPO. They don't make you NPO after the organ is in-house and because the time to revascularization of the organ is crucial to maintaining organ function in top, top, top shape. So the moment the, the donor goes to the OR, even if the kidney is coming from California and I'm in Baltimore, I become NPO at that point so that the moment the organ gets in the building, they can revascularize it as quickly as possible and mm -hmm. we don't have to wait. Um, but I when got a blessing. About, I mean, there's like a failure of, we just talked about the failure of medicine, but then there's also just like that miracle that that can exist. That can exist in country. the middle of all the chaos. All the chaos and all like having chaos. a process to be able to send a kidney from California all the way to Baltimore, like across the country. Across <laughs> the country. And like have it available and viable for someone to accept. Like yeah. that is such a miracle. Like it's what? A, it's nuts. They came to my house to test me for COVID. They came. It was like a whole day of back and forth, back and forth. And they finally said, yeah, make your way to the hospital. Everything looks good. And I'm like, this is not happening. And I get to the hospital. I'm immediately like sequestered, like, Put into this room away from everyone. My husband can't stay with me through surgery. I'm in the hospital for four days and nobody, like I do this on my own 
all of the post-surgical drama, the, the plasma phoresis, the IV, all of it. So it, it was like, this was my second transplant. And I remember my first transplant experience. My room was full of people, like my friends, like my people were coming, people were dropping off pizza because for how many years I couldn't eat pizza. And everybody knew when I get my new kidney, the first thing I want is pizza. So everybody was coming with pizza, 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 pizza and stuff. But this time my sister was just ordering food. It would be delivered in the lobby. Security would bring it up. Nobody could come in. And the amount of ungodly doses of steroids that they put you on, I needed family, right? Like I needed, because I was going stir crazy and the, the, the yeah. migraines and, but oh I was so blessed because yeah. only 33,000 transplants happened in 2020 2023. I mean, yeah. in 2020, 33,000. And I was one of those 33,000. Yeah. It's like in the, in the middle of the world, literally falling apart. <laughs> my yeah. life gets put back together in a big way yeah i mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of miracles emotionally it's yeah. complex it's complex it is complex yeah it's so hard and i mean that's i'm i'm definitely holding back on how much i'm willing to feel for this recording because if i truly open up that box like a lot of just emotions would come out but yeah like i talking about the miracles you know we in the beginning of the pandemic or in the beginning of our waves, um, we would do that thing where we would line the hallway and celebrate, you know, the first or the second or the third COVID patients leaving the hospital. It was um, just this like really cool, just like yeah. this cute little thing that we would do just to celebrate those moments. Yeah. And the nurse would wheel, you know, the patient out patient. and and we would stand in the hallway and we would just like cheer and celebrate. Um, I mean, like the unity in that in, in that time was also just like just beyond anything I've experienced before and that was really lovely talk about the vaccines too um we had vaccine clinics basically uh they were I mean they were created in a way that people could drive through it so gotcha. there was a giant tent that was placed in yeah. a big old parking lot at a conference, um, like a convention center. And we would have smaller tents for the pharmacists and the pharmacy group to draw up the vaccines. And then we would deliver that vaccine to whoever was administering it. And it was often some sort of military personnel or, you know, a nurse of some sort, but it was just, it was just so interesting. It, it looked like a military situation. It, yeah, it really kind of did because people were driving through and these people in uniforms, you know, giving um, these shots and the way that they, they also interacted with pharmacists. They're also just so professional and like these big <laughs> macho men. <laughs> and I was, um, I knew that that was something in history that I wanted to be a part of. And at the yeah. time I didn't think that I would get paid to be there because it was um, the health system that I was a part of, they were in charge of doing that. Gotcha. And I volunteered to be one of the first pharmacists to be able to help out in those tents. And then luckily they were able to make it so that I got paid for that as well. But um, I got to verify, you know, how the, the, the vaccines were um, reconstituted and draw up and just kind of yeah. double checking all of that and answering questions as needed. But there was a moment where, you know, we were slowing down like the, um, 
we had made enough to kind of like last for a while. And so I stepped out and I kind of looked out into the bigger tent. And the moment that I got really emotional was when I saw this, uh, like an older gentleman stepping out of his car to get his vaccine. It's like a grandfather or somebody just stepping out of the car, receiving that vaccine. And for me, that moment was just so beautiful because it was something that can really prevent him from getting really sick and really ill. And it was just so beautiful to see that moment. It just like gave me goosebumps when I saw it. It got me emotional as I'm like peeking out of the pharmacy tent and I saw that. And I'm like, this is what it was supposed to be all about. This emergency situation was supposed to bring people together and save communities and like restore faith in people and restore health. And yet it was just a missed opportunity from the higher ups. Right. But at the same time, there were glimmers of that humanity that exists through. And for me, those are the moments that I choose to remember is those moments of triumphs and humans. Um, human beings and humanity and it was yeah it was a really beautiful moment I and again to go back to that first point of like if you're in healthcare if you're thinking about healthcare or if you're already a pharmacist or whatever there's a lot of you know I talked to somebody recently that says a lot of pharmacists are leaving the profession yeah and I I think that that makes sense to me because if you're in healthcare for the accolades and like the fanfare of it all it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist or at least it doesn't exist exist long term but if you are somebody who wants to show up for your community you have this feeling of wanting to serve and that duty to your people Mm -hmm. then you should be in healthcare and that's that's the people that will continue to have the passion for it no matter how bad the system is and yeah I will always remember those healthcare colleagues that went through that with me and yeah. it's just a magnificent journey in a way it is. yeah of really um, showing up for for everyone else and fulfill like living that fulfilling um dream that you get yeah. to do that for your people yeah for the people and I think as pharmacists we love the fulfillment we love living and practicing in our fulfillment zone when we do the stuff that makes us feel good it's like the best part like i love being in my space of yes intellectual capacity like how do i do this how does this work what does it do how does it do it yes i show up for that i know that that's expected of me but it's when i help my patient figure out a strategy so that they remember to take their meds every day. Like I do an adherence thing. Like I help them make a small change that impacts their health. I help a nurse understand something about a medication that changes how she's going to practice moving forward. That fulfillment part, that's the best part for me about being a pharmacist. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think One other part of the pandemic that I wanted to kind of ask your opinion about is its effect on education, its effect on pharmacy education, particularly. Did you precept (laughs) during this season at all? (laughs) Oh my God. Honestly, that was like the least of my worries. To be honest with you, like not, I was like, not my problem. Like we we don't have time for this. I did precept two students, Mm -hmm. um, but we then sent them home and I gave them a bunch of projects to do, which you know, unfortunately that was, that was, you know, that was definitely a big 
um, miss opportunities for them too, because I think one of them, if they had stayed on that rotation with me, it was a transitional care rotation. If I had, they had stayed for a while, they might've changed their minds about what kind of career they wanted to pursue because they were really doing really well, like thriving oh. in that environment, like really enjoying the clinical aspect of pharmacy. Yeah, And that was definitely unfortunate. Um, I know that our residents at the time they were going through, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a resident during that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be curious to have somebody like give us um their perspective of it. But I, I mean, a lot of, here. yeah, a lot of it was just completely shut down. Shut down. They, they feel yeah. like I spoke to a few people at mid-year and I didn't think this, like I didn't initiate the pandemic conversation, but some of the students, some of them that were students are applying to become residents now. And you know what they're insecure about? They're insecure about, they think that the pandemic changed how they are educated. And the pandemic had a profound impact on them mentally and what they care about and what they value to the extent where they don't know that the type of residents they'll make will be good ones because of this. They are, one of them just plainly said like, I am mentally exhausted. I have never had time to work through the impact that the pandemic had on yeah. me. And I'm being asked now to step into this arena in this space where I need to perform at a level that I don't believe I can because mentally I am bankrupt emotionally. Oh, I God. don't have the bandwidth. And I think I just want to take a year to work on myself and revisit things. Wow. And I told her that is the most mature thing I have ever heard anyone ever say. It is brave because Many of them just feel like they're going to have FOMO, like they have FOMO. Oh my God, if I don't do it this year, I can't do it ever. But the fact that you've self-reflected and realized that the pandemic really messed you up and you need time to do this after you've worked on yourself a little bit and then see if residency really and truly is the way forward to do it. And I don't think that I thought about that at all, too. I, I definitely did not. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear, like, that it took such a mental toll on her. I'm yeah. curious, like, hopefully one day when she figures it all out, maybe she can give us an idea of what it is. Yeah. But yeah. same here with me in the sense, like, I'm talking about the pandemic right now, and I I will never, I don't think I'll know exactly how it, how it's affected me until like one day it will come to me in like yeah. a dream or something in a meditation of some sort. <laughs> in a meditation. We get a lot of good revelations in meditation. So, you yeah, know, I love it. I talked to, like I said, I, I talked to a therapist about this because right, you know, around like 2021, 2022, when everything's opened back up and we're going back to normal life, I had a rough time readjusting my mindset to going back into normal society, I guess. We all did. And my when I talked to my therapist, she was like, yeah, I mean, obviously, you didn't really feel safe during the pandemic, you didn't feel supported. But I'm like, but how, how did that affect me, though? Like, I get yeah. that I didn't feel safe. And I think that yeah, but mm -hmm. how did it manifest in, yeah. in me and how I show up, you know, yeah. but I would say that 
also the most positive thing that came out from that year was me feeling so hopeless all year long. Like me feeling like no one's supporting us as healthcare providers. No one believes us as healthcare providers. Everybody's just arguing. Like, I mean, if I can cuss, I would like just arguing about the stupidest stuff. Meanwhile, and people are dying. FYI. Meanwhile, people are like laying in hospital beds. Our ICUs max capacity. We had to put yeah. two patients in one ICU one. room. Like, mm. talk about thinking about maybe converting a conference room into a yeah. patient room. Like, yes. what the f is wrong with you to yes. be arguing out there about the stupidest stuff? Yes. And I was so angry, but I didn't know like how to, like, but I. I didn't have a platform to speak up or I didn't have any yeah. way to speak up or, or anything. And I felt so hopeless. And I think feeling so hopeless for so long coming out of the pandemic, I was no longer wanting to just sit back anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the dream of making an impact in the world became stronger than ever yeah. after the pandemic. I was no longer allowing something to just happen to me. And I'm just going to sitting in my bedroom crying, listening to Taylor Swift. Like I can still listen to Taylor hey. Swift and cry, but I'm that going Taylor to do Swift something got you through. after. Yeah. <laughs> she did. Shout out to Taylor. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to cousin Tay Tay. <laughs> Tay Tay, sponsor us. <laughs> Okay. It's, uh, it's multifaceted. Um, I just think that every time it's new year's and we're coming up on the anniversary, I reflect back on it and I think back about it. And I'm like, that thing did a lot to us, but it also did some things for us. It helped a lot of us find our voices. It helped a lot of us realign and understand that. Let, let me tell you, there are important things in your life beyond work pay bills and die there are i'm telling you before yes, the please, pandemic if you're, if you're <laughs> listening to this podcast there is more to life than work pay bills and die and die uh, it's like i hope that you know this i hope you know that that's what covid forced us to realize like we care about more than just paying the bills and dying after it's all said and done and and if nothing else, I'm grateful for that eye-opening experience. Um, it, it we we had to rebuild, we had to reconnect after we got used to it. We got used to watching TV on separate couch, like it became normal for us. It became normal for us. Whereas for years we are cuddled up together watching TV. It didn't matter how small the couch was. Since pharmacy school, we are together watching. And suddenly it's like, okay, yeah, pass me a pillow. Pass me that pillow. It's like, I'm like, this is not normal. I want to go back to like our normal stuff. This yeah. is not it. Watching TV on separate couches and, and the laundry basket finally can come upstairs, you yeah. know? But it's just... We are still maskers in public. Um, it's just, just the other day, a girl I know, COVID, she lost her kidney. So I oh have gosh. these reminders, right? That I will forever have to be cautious if I'm in public. Like even at mid-year, I wore a mask um, when I'm in public spaces because it, it, it has... It has different, different mm -hmm. implications for me. And, and, and I need to not be naive about that and be, um, I'm invincible. No, 
you're delusional. <laughs> I need to not be delusional. There about... are things that you can be delusional about. And then Delusion there are things that you shouldn't take a chance, <laughs> like your life. <laughs> this, is, this is not one of the times where I can be in my Delulu era and be happily living. If I'm in public spaces where there are a bunch of people, I need to wear a mask. I need to wear a mask going to Costco and going to the grocery store. That is what normal looks like for me. I need to be comfortable with that. Um, and that is a post-pandemic thing. And yeah. I'm okay. Uh, I mean, post-pandemic. Oh, I just thought of something too. I completely. Oh, you know what? Okay. Post-pandemic wise for me, I've always been the person that's like, no, I want to listen to everybody's point of views. And I want to understand why <laughs> people think the way that they think. And I'm, you know, politically, I'm, I lean liberal, but I'm actually a very moderate person just because I can understand why the other side believes something. Yeah. And just yeah. in general, what the pandemic has taught me was that arguing and being so contentious with each other was so unproductive. Yes. And for me, I think that's how I created this brand that I have now, which is Empowered for MD, is approaching everything in a very compassionate and empathetic way. And I hope to continue to do that is to talk about a hard topic, but really yeah. bringing people together too. And that was something that I thought was such a failure on all these leadership aspects. And I'm hoping to be able to have tough conversations, but in a loving way. And everyone yeah. can do that. Everyone so, can. And they, you can, I see you can teach them through. I, I think yeah. you're that that's going to be great. Like for you to show them and teach them. I, I just, we are exhausted. Like, I don't know if you're a Gen Z or a millennial, but like, we are exhausted. Like I, let me not we this in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I am <laughs> exhausted. Okay. I am exhausted. Like I, 9-11, COVID, the, the real estate market crash, the, like, can we yeah. list out all of the different ways that me as a millennial have had to recalibrate, have had to reset, have had to reconfigure how I, I move forward, how I exist in life and how all these things have happened before I am even a mother to say that I'm going to teach my kid about this is how you do it. Like, I feel bad for my kid because the things I'm going to tell him, it's like, you got to be good with your money. You got to plan for paying for your education. You got to, too many things have happened to me as a millennial where my concerns for what I want and want to give my son are going to be really different from what my parents had. My parents had one goal in life and that was superior education. You're going to have a good education so you can be a productive member of society. I have so many more dreams for my son than that. <laughs> like what? It's so much bigger than that because I feel like I'm going to tell him your education is only going to do but so much. I need you to to think bigger, expose yourself to more so that the education can be the ground floor. Mm. But how you view and see not just your environment, but the world is how you are going to be able to transcend whatever life circumstances are going to be. Wait. I have to teach him more. Did you, but do you think that that is a perspective that happened because of the pandemic and everything that's went on or you've always had this, right? No, no, no. 
I think that I've been changed by these events. Wow, really? I really I, have. I can, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. Wow. I've been changed by the event, these events, like to come out of pharmacy school with this massive loan that changed my perspective on how to go about pursuing superior education, right? It's made a goal for me to give my son a debt-free life. I don't want him to have debt as a result of education. And that's as a result of what's happened, right? Like the, the pandemic, them pausing student loans repayment and me seeing how much I was able to save as a result of no student loan payment, ridiculousness, <laughs> ridiculousness. And it, it angered me. It angered me that this is how much money in all of the times that I have my payments been frozen, that I've been able to accrue from one bill, one. So that makes me want more for him with respect to how much debt is going to be acceptable debt, if at all, as a result oh, of wow. education, as a result of education. This but is, yeah, this is a fascinating thing that you're bringing up because my mind has been changed so much too, because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give you an example. Um, oh my gosh. So when we were being furloughed and, and I, I mentioned this, the conversation in the elevator yeah. with a, with a doctor, he was like, yeah, you know, many people may lose their job because we don't have, um, we don't have patients. Like there's no surgery. Yeah. 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 And that was the first time in my head that it clicked that in order for me to have a job, people have to be sick. Oh my God. And what a I thought. was, I was in the elevator talking to this man who's like really scared for his future. I'm like, and I said this to him. I was like, yeah, it, it is strange for us to be in, in a profession where you have to have patience to make money. <laughs> and I said that yes. the first time I've ever even thought that in this elevator and my mind was, I blew my own mind. <laughs> it was a mind blowing. I was like, wow, I'm yes. profound. Anyone, anyone else hear that? <laughs> And the guy was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. That was rather profound. <laughs> like, Look at me. I should be a podcaster. <laughs> I cannot. But like, I'm so serious. If you sit down and you really think about all of the different things that have happened, like for me as a millennial, I have things, what I want to give my son or, or a little different, like I, I, I will encourage my son to be very entrepreneurial and very, have a disruptive thought, a disruptive uh, mindset, no matter where you are, what industry you're in, I need you to be thinking about what is the, what is the possibility for disruption here? But he's because... your son. He will have that on <laughs> DNA wise. It's going to be embedded in him. I mean, if you look at my parents, right? Like people are surprised that I'm like going this entrepreneur route, but I'm like, um, my parents, you know, little old Vietnamese people, not they weren't old, but like these Vietnamese folks from, you know, middle of Vietnam decided to move to America for a yeah. better life, came here with no money. And guess what? Now they are these thriving members of society, yeah. not knowing the language, not knowing anything. I mean, talk about entrepreneurship, like that is embedded in my DNA. It is. 
There is just no way that I can like escape that. And so your son is going to have that in his blood. Like it's probably already running through him. You give me hope. You give me hope. You give me hope because it's just, it's, it, it revealed so much about, about the things that I did was I was going to go to work. Like if I want to go on a trip, I'm just going to do one OT here, another OT there. And it's, it's like now. If I want to go on a trip, I'm not doing math three times. See y'all. I'm out of here. <laughs> Goodbye. I'll see y'all when I come back. <laughs> Don't look the, for me for the next two, three weeks. I'm out of here. The other thing but, that I, that really changed. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish oh, with that. No, no, no. That was it. Like, it's just, I don't think, to, I don't think two, three, four times anymore to just dip. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, This is my time. The words. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the other thing that really changed my mind and that the pandemic has really changed the way that I view my life and, and just my worldview was the whole furlough situation. That was in itself pretty traumatic. And I'm glad that I got that experience because now I know what to expect when my job is not as stable and how to you know protect myself from that. But um, we had gone through, you know, a couple of waves of the pandemic already, but the the hospital was still losing money because of just the way that they were handling the the situation in the beginning. They lost so much money that it, it took oh. a lot of effort to even make some of that back. And so they were um, they had to, to, you know, scale back. And I remember sitting in my office one day and I got a knock on the door. I opened the door and it was one of my managers at the time. And she's like, I just want to let you know that I got laid off. I got let go. And if I had like known, I would never have guessed that. Only because this woman had been with the company for 30 something years. Stop. Goes into work every freaking day, like so excited to be here. Energy, like off the roof. Like people look at her and we're like, oh my God, can you be quiet? It's like (laughs) six in the morning. (laughs) what gets in an elevator talks to everybody knows everybody been in that not just company but hospital for 30 something years about to retire close to retirement by the way gets laid off because they no longer think that she benefited the company and again here I am right like sitting in my freaking office being like I'm so loyal to this company I'm gonna work here forever because that's what everybody was around me was doing and for me to see them so carelessly, just, I mean, I'm sure it's not careless, but just so like callously, I guess, just like, yeah, oh, we don't need Dispose you anymore. You're her. done. Disposing of somebody who not just like is about to retire, but someone who loved that place yeah. and was for me a model um, employee only because of the commitment and the fervor that she brought to that job. Like everybody else goes to work and we're like dead. And she comes in like freaking <laughs> bouncing into her work. And we're like, what? You know, she was the type that like drank the freaking Kool-Aid, you know, but they let her go because they no longer needed her. And and that experience taught me to not be so reliant on this employer yeah. And that's why I did pursue entrepreneurship as well is because I wanted to know what it's like to build my own brand and to have yes. my own, just my own thing that I can yes. really work on. Um, yes. At the end of the day, that intellectual property is mine. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And oh, I had to learn that it. very much the hard way of yeah. seeing it going, 
happening to somebody else, like a couple of years out of retirement. Man. Like that's heartless. And just like put her somewhere else. You know what I mean? If you don't need her anymore, like put her in a different position. (laughs) But to just say, just find something for her to do. Just find her something else for the next couple of years. Jesus, like, come on. Oh, man. It's real. Like, no, 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 no. I, I feel like it's taken me a little while too, but I've, again, the pandemic. Reconcile. The pandemic is when Resi Prep came out of the shadows. Yeah. 2020, it was, I think, in June 2020, that's when my LinkedIn page for Resi Prep was created and I made my first post. Until then, from 2018, no, from 2017 to 2020, I'd been working with candidates quietly very incognito. Yeah. Just, I didn't, yeah. what I did existed nowhere out in the world. I became, Resi Prep became out and like, wait, that's you. You do that Wait, you and that are the same. I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. People that I've worked with for years that I've known for years had no clue that I did this after work. I went home and worked on this stuff on weekends and did this and did this and, and did zoom workshops and all this stuff. No clue. Right. So yeah, it's affected me negatively. It, it had negative effects, but some of those things have helped me find the courage to do a lot of what I'm doing now because it showed me that I really, I do have more power than I think. And again, I'm just not in it to work, pay bills and die. I'm done. We're retiring that lifestyle now. <laughs> yeah. Better late than ever. Yeah. Honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. In a way, I am grateful that I I got this experience despite a lot of pain from it as well. Wow. Yeah. That's our (laughs) pandemic, guys. Like I and like when I or the reason why I really wanted to do this or have this conversation. Yes. It's because I knew that there's pain there. I just knew because we were we were affected very differently by it. Like I was pretty much in COVID jail. I was at home, <laughs> couldn't mm-hmm. go nowhere. You were out there. You were in the trenches with it. Um, but emotionally, all of what happened to us, it facilitated a lot of where we are right now. And if we think about it and deeply reflect on it and the impact it's had, COVID's signature is on so many things in what yeah. I'm doing now and in my life, like how I leverage technology. I learned all that during COVID. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Zoom, actually Snapchat. getting a Zoom account and, and Google Meets, Microsoft Meets, like all these different platforms, Calendly, all these different, these were all remnants of the pandemic and, and learning that I can connect with candidates across the country. I'm not limited to just the schools in DC, Maryland, and Virginia, which is what I've been doing forever. But they're talking to their friends in Louisiana. They're talking to their friends in all these other states. And they're like, do you help students from this side? Do you... And I'm like, oh, work is asking me to do the Zoom thing. I wonder if I can pay for Zoom and start talking to people that live in California and other places. So nice. it opened up up our minds for the better or for worse. But I think that 
I'm just really proud of us for not giving up. I don't yeah. think anyone would have blamed us for just saying, okay, enough. I'm just going to step away from all of it. Yeah. But I'm proud of us for pushing through it and, 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 and following that journey and discovering things about ourselves that, that are going to continue to yeah. serve us really, really well into the future. But I mean, it sounded like too, we really embrace our pain and our negative experiences into something that cultivated into beautiful beginnings as well and motivate us to do a lot. I mean, I'm speaking out of, about things because I didn't have a chance to speak out during the pandemic and I just don't want to lose that opportunity anymore. And I hope that people who are just like, oh, pandemic was horrible. I'm just going to pretend it never existed. Like maybe there is an aspect that you can learn from it and, and grow from it too. But yeah. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad that it wasn't as emotionally charged as I thought because I, I didn't want to be crying and be incoherent this entire oh, time. Dude. Because dude, uh, yeah. you're okay. This is a safe space. I know. I would have just cried with you and then that would have normalized. We're crying together. <laughs> and then they're listening like, okay, can at they some stop? point. Can they <laughs> Because I, I just want to get to school. I just want to get to work and not be boohooing either. So yeah. can we? But yeah, but, um, so many amazing things happen. So, uh, yeah, wow, four years—that's a long time. A long time. I turned and it's thirty-one that year, and I had I celebrated by myself. But someone, uh, a friend of mine, brought me a cupcake, and I had like a candle for my thirtieth birthday. So then it was like the three. And then I had to find like a one, which is just like a, a regular candle. And then I did like an Instagram live. Did you? I was like, I'm blowing up my cupcakes for my birthday. It was like the height of the the first wave that we had, which yeah. I didn't even really get into. But um, yeah, we it was my first Instagram live ever. Random people showed up. I was like so nervous. <laughs> Look at that. Because because what, what were we all doing at home yeah. on Instagram? I know. That's what we're all doing. It's like, yeah. oh, some girl named Sue is live. Oh, I wonder. Let's she's watch, in. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to add? To that me? is it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. This was actually fun. I, I'm excited. Yeah, we got to really dive into the pandemic in a, a lot of a lot of different ways. So different that was really ways, cool. yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I hope that everyone listening at home also really enjoyed it and let us know. Um, oh, I forgot my whole like spiel at the beginning. Oops. Um, <laughs> but let us know in the comment below, how, how did the pandemic affect you? And yeah. if you were a student at the time, please let us know how it affected you and whether or not you felt like you, you needed that break. Um, because I didn't expect them, the mental toll to be so strong on students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Well, with that said, thank you so much for listening. If this episode speaks to you and you think that others may benefit from hearing our stories, send this episode to them. This will help us reach way more people. Yeah, this episode is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me or through individually on all of those social media platforms, but also our HeyRx friends, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube page. Please, 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 please follow us, like, rate, comment, engage with us. This is how you let us know that you are still with us, but also you help make the show discoverable for other people. We greatly appreciate it. And until next time, don't forget... 
We got we this. We got this. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.